Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Your Voice First podcast. If you'd like to learn more, find us on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and every other social platform at Voice First AI. Welcome back to Your Voice First podcast. Today, we've got an old-time friend of mine, Pablo. Pablo, welcome to the show. Hey, sweets. Thanks for having me. Pablo, last I saw you in person was when we worked at Uptake. Uh, well, I think they were valued at like $2.3 billion when we worked there. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, they were at the time. And then right now, I have no idea what the valuation was. But those were some very fun times, weren't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember it was that was what got me started wanting to build voice technology was this industrial AI, this thought of like putting sensors all over like Caterpillar was their first client and putting sensors all over that nonsense and then just putting sensors everywhere and having Internet of Things technology communicate it all to provide like passive ambient computers into the world that we live in. And then from there it was like for me building up into Amazon Alexa. I'm curious for you, after Uptake, where did you head to? Yeah, so, you know, first of all, I, I credit Uptake to the start of my career. And, you know, we both came in early careerists, um, as, as they say. Uh, so I, I really credit that place for a lot of my foundation and a lot of what I look forward to when I'm going out and looking for uh, jobs nowadays, though it's hard to compare to that early startup feel. Um, so yeah, after I left Uptake, well, you know, I, I stayed a little bit longer than you did. I was there for maybe 13 to 17 months total. Um, and I was in a, a different space than you were, Sweets. You were in the engineering side and I was in, I mean, I started off in, I started off in DevOps and I moved over to um, security. And then from security, I moved over to uh, the subset of application security. Um, which is kind of a great space for that uh, that uh, DevOpsy engineering um, part of security. Yeah, I remember. Then, uh, I remember seeing you doing the Red Hat or those cybersecurity teams, and there was like a whole room set up for you cybersecurity people, and you'd walk past and you'd just be like, "Whoa, it's like the mystery secret squad that's out there doing all the superhero missions." And I, I remember having much respect for you in the cybersecurity work you and that team were doing. Uh, well, thank you. Um, you know, it, I think that's kind of one of the misconceptions of cybersecurity is that we're not superheroes, we're regular people, and, and it takes a lot of time. You know, we're, we're de demystifying the Hollywood experience of cybersecurity where it's not that glamorous. It's a lot of trial and error, um, and it's, it's, it's not as fun as you think, but it is definitely fun. Um, so actually right now I'm, I'm at a company called Coyote Logistics, which is a subsidiary of UPS. Um, I am working with them to build their application security program, um, champion DevSecOps there. And, um, you know, I'm still doing the red teaming, um, but it's definitely a different experience than Uptake, but I'm having a lot of fun doing it. What have you found the difference to be? I Uptake sold me on the startup work model. I loved showing up there. And this was like the, the story that I told everybody. I'd show up in the morning, I'd grab some kefir or this like European yogurt milk. I'd sit in one of their meditation spheres. I'd meditate for a little bit. 
go upstairs to my team, grab my laptop, and then I'd work in like a beanbag chair all day. And it was it was super fun to work there and to get meals delivered every day from Potbelly and a lot of different local places. But uh, what's Coyote Logistics like compared to the Uptake startup deal? You know what? Coyote Logistics is, uh, first of all, much, you know, a little bit older, about, uh, I want to say like 13 to 15 years old. But their application stack is different. Um, so when we think about, when I think about Coyote Logistics, you know, one thing that we didn't do at Uptake was have a client for, and when I mean a client, I mean like a desktop client that you can utilize mm. to, um, you know, have something, have the program run on your desktop. And, and because Coyote is a little bit older and is undergoing digital transformation, they have a desktop client and that prevent, that provides me with new challenges on how to secure that. And then also being a part of the digital transformation space, um, they're developing new applications. You know, you're thinking about the Docker, Kubernetes, um, microservice-oriented architecture. So you have a lot of that old, um, you know, monolithic code base, but you also have a lot of the very cutting-edge new, which provides me with, with having to secure multiple generations of things, which is an incredible problem to solve, but also super exciting and invaluable in my experience. Yeah, so cybersecurity is super interesting right now. We went from having a mixture, most people were working in offices and some remote to COVID-19, global pandemic hits. Everybody moves remote, which I'm sure adds a lot of cybersecurity, but you being inside, I'm curious of how has COVID-19 either posed a challenge or an opportunity for cybersecurity? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so I guess it, it's multiple parts, and it depends on your maturity of cybersecurity, right? You have um, you have like a lot of new startups in Silicon Valley or you know Toronto, New York that are all cloud based, which makes it very very easy for them to shift to remote work. Mm -hmm. But then you have some of these legacy companies that you know they don't have the infrastructure. Um, for remote work and, you know, they've had to scale up and do X, Y, and Z to kind of get there. And um, that, that, that provides you with new problems. And uh, I think a lot of it is, you know, it goes back to the, the foundations of, of cybersecurity, like prevention is like, you know, at MFA, if you can use a VPN, you know, do a VPN or, you know, these cloud-based companies don't really have to do that since mm -hmm. they're developing all in the cloud. Um, so it, it really depends on, on the maturity and, you know, when I'm thinking about some of the, the easiest ways to solve that is, yeah, you know, add MFA, use some sort of, um, platform to detect for phishing. That's because, you know, 90, 95% of all, uh, breaches stem from like a phishing incident to then, um, you know, maybe a VPN always on if you're more legacy. You know, you can then have agents running on the machines, gives you a lot of coverage there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really dependent. And, uh, you know, this is a problem that the industry is going to be solving for um, as people become fully remote or hybrid or, um, yeah, I mean, the, in, my, in my opinion, the best way to kind of approach the problem would be assume that everybody's going to be fully remote mm -hmm. and and using that assumption, go forward, because then if you're in the office, you know, you're prepared for 
things like this in the future. Um, and even if people wanted to do a hybrid model of, you know, two days in the office or three days in the office and the rest remote, they can do that going forward. So, yeah, it's like, it's almost like the windows model of building an operating system. Like Apple said, Hey, we're going to build the hardware and the software and our software will only work on our hardware. Microsoft said, well, we're going to build the operating system, but that's going to operate on any type of hardware, whether we're doing it on a Windows machine or a, uh, what would be a Dell machine or a Mac. Uh, I'm having trouble thinking of other makers, but any computer can run Windows. Only Mac built hardware can run Mac built software. So this model that you're talking about of, hey, your security should work, whether people are working entirely remote. It should work if they're working entirely in the office or a hybrid somewhere in between. You guys should not have any security vulnerabilities, which sounds like a much more robust way of building a cybersecurity strategy, whereas something in the past of like, we know that nobody's going to hack into us because everybody that has access is here in the office. That's not true anymore. I had a friend that's working at an aerospace company and they were entirely in person up until COVID. And he had um, security clearance he was working with the military and he needed a security clearance in order to do it. Their policy was always, nobody can work remote. Nobody can go remote because we're doing top secret stuff. We can't have that leaving our offices. COVID hit and now it was like a forcing function. Hey, I know your policy has always been a very hard line. You have to be in the office, but you can't do that anymore. So how are you going to get that out to your employees? And I think they did similar to what you were saying about VPN. So um, what, at Coyote Logistics, was it hard to go fully remote or were they one of those younger cloud-based companies that found it easier to, to move over to the remote work style? You know, Coyote is full of really, really, really smart people. Um, just like, you know, uh, many companies um, that I've seen, but, you know, there were challenges, but um, we definitely accomplished that part mm -hmm. of it um and i think we did it really well um obviously we're still thinking about how, how do we scale this and what does the future look like and then you know like a lot of this a lot of what you're talking about is kind of like it relates to building platforms nowadays you know docker is a great example of being agnostic um and not dependent on a op you know a, a hardware set and and security is kind of like that, or, you know, cloud is like that, being cloud agnostic. Can you build a, a platform that's cloud agnostic or your applications be cloud agnostic? And, um, yeah, so trying to take some of this um, speculation or assumptions away from the space and, and, and think about the what-ifs is is definitely a, a challenge, I think, that we're, we're starting to get to as, as a technological industry. Mm -hmm. And that's your entire job, thinking about the what-ifs. And I know I kind of stole the show for a while, but I, I would like to flip the script and give you kind of the, the ability to ask questions because what inspired this podcast interview is uh, you said you had some questions, and I heard that you're, you and your friends might be working on something new. So I'm curious to learn what you guys are working on and also help in any way that I can. Yeah, so, you know, that's one thing that I, I definitely wanted to – to plug you for is um, to, to get you in and, and maybe, you know, ad, advise us a little bit about like the early startup phase. So yeah, a few of my friends and I, not, I guess, not all friends, but like, you know, people that I've known and got to know through the industry, um, <laughs> I guess they're friends now. <laughs> uh, 
we're working on a, a analytics platform of some sort and uh, you know looking for some advisement because we're trying to build 100% of the cloud microservice architecture. Um, we're also trying to develop our story a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you leading the way from voice first, you know, I, th I thought you would have a lot of those answers of the challenges that come with the early space. And, um, and I'm looking to kind of get a, a council of people who can kind of lead us in a, in a good direction. Mm. Um, so I, I, I thought that'd be a great place to, you'd be a great person to have, um, do that. But, um, yeah, so I guess some of my questions right now are, you know, voice first is a very agnostic platform because you're, you're talking GCP, you're talking AWS. I don't know if you're talking Azure, um, because of, I don't know what sort of, um, Microsoft AI, uh, like smart products are out mm -hmm. there. Um, how are you how are you bridging that and how do you manage like two different platforms mm. Mm. a lot of what we build um so we, we've got two different sides of voice first there's the platforms that we build those are things like alexa for musicians the only platform in the world for musicians to put their voice on smart speakers like amazon alexa and google assistant and then there's voice dry cleaner where dry cleaners can put their brand on alexa and google so that all you have to say is alexa pick up my laundry and someone shows up at your door, pick up your laundry for free, they'll wash it and fold it and then drop it back off. So those are our platforms. And then there's the client side. And the client side is what I do a lot of on social media of like, hey, I'm putting out my story, I'm talking about it. And then people will message me and say, hey, can you build us a chatbot experience using Twilio's autopilot for text messaging? Or can you build us something on Amazon Alexa? Can you build us something on Google Assistant? Can you build us a Facebook Messenger bot or we have a lot, pretty much conversational AI is what we do and our client work can span a lot of that. So when we're talking about our platforms, um, Alexa for musicians or voice dry cleaner, those, the majority of our stack lives in AWS. We try as much as possible to reduce the complexity and store everything in one uh, cloud platform. And then when we can't, so when we get into Google Assistant, that does not live in AWS's architecture, that lives in GCP's architecture. So once we get into the individual interface of Google Assistant or Amazon Alexa, then we have to deal with those individual uh, software developer kits or pipelines or those tech stacks. But for the majority of what we do, it lives inside of AWS. And the biggest reason that we've used AWS is their ability to build into pipelines has been much easier for us for building voice than Google Cloud Platform. I know Google's getting a lot better and we do integrate them for some of our automatic uh, application creations and for our continuous integration, continuous development pipelines. But the majority of what we do is on AWS and those are our platforms. For our clients, we will talk to them to figure out what they're trying to build and more often than not, uh, our clients need a techie. They're small companies that might be doing uh, fifty dollars to $100,000 a year in revenue. And they're coming to us as a solopreneur. And they just want to spend somewhere between like ten dollars and $20,000 to do a project with us. And we'll just talk to them. Okay, well, what are you building? For example, we've got an education system based out of Michigan. They're coming to us and saying, hey, 
we were all in-person classes. We're now trying to teach remotely. We want to offer our educational curriculum in more ways than the rest of the world. So to summarize it all, we are able to be kind of cloud agnostic by thinking about what is it that we're trying to do, breaking that down into a fundamental algorithm that will work on either platform. And then after we've broken it down to an algorithm, we set up our pipeline to be able to handle it, whether it is on a Google Cloud stack or on an AWS stack, or you're right, we really don't do much with Microsoft stack besides our newest AI, which is um, our musicians wanted more, they wanted the ability to work with artificial intelligence to actually create music so that they could, like a producer that makes lo-fi beats, if they want to spit out 100 lo-fi beats in a day, they wanted to work with an artificial intelligence to be able to do that. Microsoft's AI, Watson, is perfect for that kind of task. So we use Watson for music creation and that kind of artificial intelligence. But the rest of our AI lives on GCP and AWS. We think of what the algorithm is. What is, it, what is the end goal that we're trying to accomplish? What are the smaller steps that we need to do to make that happen, regardless of the platform? And now let's just write it down. Okay, so in AWS, we're going to need a Lambda service, an API gateway, and an S3. Or if we're doing it on Google Cloud Platform, we might need uh, Google Cloud Functions. We might need um, um, Firebase and a storage. And those are the different stacks that we need. I hope that answers the question. No, it definitely does. Um, yeah, so I guess, you know, some of my other questions are, um, you know, how, how are you doing? I mean, we haven't got to go get to the personal side of everything yet. Um, uh, I guess then more on the technical side, it's like, what do you speculate is going to, what's next for the industry? What's next for technology? You know, um, we're talking a lot of the operational part of, of development is happening right now. I mean, we have a lot of front end frameworks that have came out over the last five years. But a lot of thing is, you know, infrastructure as code for operations. Um, there's not much that I would say is like, you know, coding languages aren't changing. You know, foundationally, mm -hmm. they're not changing that much. But uh, the way we're managing, deploying, and hosting things. So the infrastructure side is changing a lot. So mm -hmm. what's next? That's, that's such a great question. And I feel like I've had a lot of people asking me that recently people that are starting new companies that are looking to have like an advisor role. I've had people asking me what's next and it always stumps me. And I'm, I'm, I don't know why I'm just the biggest thing that I'm using to continue to know what I should be investing my time in is what are my clients asking for? Like my, my, I think some of the most successful companies were started not from trying to anticipate, but from answering customer demand. Like, like Microsoft, Bill Gates started off not building up an operating system. He started off getting contracts. And then with enough contracts, he started to see that underlying theme of, oh, this ability to create an operating system that works for every mainframe would be awesome. And he saw the potential in that when IBM didn't, which allowed him to strike on that value. For me, I feel like COVID's kind of released a lot of those big themes of, hey, remote work is here to stay. This is not just a trend, but companies are going to need to operate remotely for a long period of time. What does that mean? Okay, office real estate is probably going to go down in value and you're probably going to have an office real estate crash, if not now in the near future, because people don't need to spend a lot of money on their offices when they can do it all remote. 
um, live stream technology like Zoom or Instagram Live or Restream is going to get bigger because I don't interact with people in the real world much anymore. And <laughs> you talked a little bit about personal life. There's definitely ups and downs. Like I could go a whole week and the only person I'll see is my girlfriend. And then the only other social interactions I get are messaging people. So I'm very grateful for times like this when I'm having a back and forth conversation with a person, because when I think about it, 90% of my time outside of this podcast is just me in my head or me listening to someone else on social media or me watching a video. So this podcast interview is like the only chance I get to really get in the dojo of a social interaction and be like, okay, I'm talking to Pablo. Pablo's asking me a question. I'm answering it. Am I taking too long to answer? Am I keeping the other listeners engaged? And it's like, when you get out of practice with a lot of stuff, you can, you can lose that. So, okay, that's me. How does every other human being, how are they being impacted in the exact same way? I was watching this uh, conspiracy video this morning. The government is creating COVID-19. Believe that or not, I'm not going to prove it or disprove it. The government may have created COVID-19 and they want to keep everybody inside so that they weaken their immune system so that, bam, then we're going to release this vaccine that does do that. And I mean, there is behind every conspiracy is a little bit of truth. Like there's a lot to be said about our weakened immune systems. When we're spending all this time inside, we're not practicing a lot of the things that we needed to be tougher. There's a book, Anti-Fragility by Nassim Taleb. And one of the big practices of anti-fragility, and for people that aren't aware of what the concept of anti-fragility means, think of like a hydra. When one head gets cut off a hydra, two more grow in its place. And it's this thought of like, the most successful companies and the most successful entities, the most successful mental models are anti-fragile. When you put stress on it, it not only survives, but gets stronger, such as the human body when you exercise it. You're, you're exposing it to a certain amount of pain so that it gets stronger. A podcast interview. There's a certain amount of stress that causes us to get better at social situations moving forward into the future. It hurts in the moment, but it makes us stronger, and then we grow tenfold in our ability to talk to others. So the biggest takeaways for me in terms of what COVID's doing for the future, remote work, live stream technologies, and digital payments. Digital payment platforms are the one that we didn't talk about yet, but um, Square and Stripe, they have seen in the first couple of days of COVID and probably still to this day, we're seeing payments getting processed on the platform that were on the scale of Black Friday. Every single day for weeks on end, they were seeing payments getting processed at the scale of what they would only see on a Black Friday. And that's a long-term trend that's probably going to stay. Kids are growing up and they're learning how to shop online before they're learning anything about in-store purchases. And that ease of use, that ability to shop online, return for free, and then just process all of your payments online is really big. So how am I implementing that into my business? Well, whenever a customer is coming to me and they're talking, I'm saying, hey, let's build in-skill purchasing into this Alexa skill. Or let's build Google transactions into this Google Assistant action so you can process payments and make this a profit positive experience that we're building. The goal is always to make the client more money so that they want to come back and do more business with you. If I have a client and then I make them $17,000 and they only paid me $15,000 for the app, they're going to be that much more incentivized to come back because I'm a profit positive relationship for them. And uh, for me, that's awesome because I then get to see what's valuable in the Alexa sphere. So like one of our clients that's been coming back a lot is Simple Sounds. He's been seeing subscribers of about uh, 10 subscribers a day, which comes out to about 300 subscribers a month, each paying 99 cents a month. 
And that right now has built him up to thousands of subscribers each month that are paying him a dollar. So he's earning each year um, like 30K just off of one app that we built for him. And we built about five apps for him and each of them are earning around the same amount. So we're earning him hundreds of thousands of dollars and he's going to keep coming back to us because he's seeing such a big return on investment. Now you guys are trying to build a platform. Are you guys trying to build a platform or are you working more towards like the agency model? Where are you guys looking to earn your revenue? Yeah. So we're, we're you know, first of all, there's some things I want to touch on, on what you said, but you know, we're looking to build a platform um, that, you know, I guess the, the way I like to think about it is the affiliate, the affiliate and the affiliator. Um, and, you know, what I think about how are we going to provide an end user or like an end company um, the ability to connect with somebody else in a, in a way that provides both of them value. And then we take, you know, a slice of it. And, um, you know, I definitely will have a larger conversation with you offline about kind of like more of, of the logistical things that we, we want to do here. But, um, yeah, that's, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing that we're trying to connect. And it goes back to a lot of what you said, where it's, you know, all these different things are coming. And then, you know, what I'm, what I'm putting, what I'm hedging is that on the thing that's next, because of our transformation, um, our, our social distance and our dependence on technology, there's going to be value in the analytic space. And I mean, obviously there's already value in the analytic space, but um, especially around consumers, just because consumer behavior is changing mm -hmm. so drastically. Analytics so. space and consumer behavior. I love that. Analytics is we're living in the age of AI and what's the lifeblood of artificial intelligence. It's, it's data. So you building a platform to be able to provide analytics on that data is, is 100% essential for the world that we're living. Yes, I, you know, I, I agree. And I think, you know, everyone is going to want to become smarter. Everything, everything is going to be smarter. And that's, you know, our, our, um, our path to the Jetsons is, is kind of like, uh, you know, becoming smart in everything we do. And then we have more time for that creation and that creativity and, um, innovation. Um, so that's, you know, that's, I think that's one of the beauties, um, not to get political here, but that's kind of like one of the beauties of, of a capitalist, um, nation is that, you know, Capitalism inspires people to innovate mm -hmm. on things because they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, they get it. There's yeah. an incentive there, right? You know, that incentive is money. So it might be, it might be twisted. I don't know how people feel about that, but I think it's a very interesting thing to think, you know, capitalism is probably one of the, you know, the United States most capitalist society in the world, I would say, or country in the world. And, you know, probably one of the most innovative too. So. I, I would say that I, I'm with you. I would even say that capitalism isn't even political. It's more something that's intrinsic to the human species. Like for hundreds, thousands of years, humans have been keeping track of debits and credits between other human beings. This, this notion of, hey, I'm giving you something, whether it's my time or a resource, 
okay, you are now indebted to me because I have given you something and you have not reciprocated that. That's, that's capitalism. It's not, it's not a creation of humanity. It's, it's something that's intrinsic to us as social humans. We, when we share, we expect something to be returned. And if it's not, then the law, law of karma kicks in. What you give will be returned to you. If you are a selfish person, selfishness is what's going to gravitate to you. What you seek is seeking you. Like that's capitalism is just exchanging. So, so I feel like it's intuitive. And I think you're right. We're getting to the place in the world where lots is being done for us, where we don't have to. And um, I follow Naval Ravikant a lot. And one of the big things he says is it's like, we're getting to a place where wealth can be created for any person. So there's a lot of humans that don't even need to work anymore. They're living at home with their parents or they're living off right. of the government or they're living off of some other entity where the only reason for them to go out and do anything would be for a sense of fulfillment. Like, like what you were saying, like we want people to spend less time doing what they don't want so that they can spend more time in the genuinely life enriching activities that they find, whether that's watching the sunset or getting on podcasts or creating graphic art whatever it is, those things aren't necessarily valuable for me to eat, breathe, and reproduce, but they do give me meaning and they keep me from getting depressed and killing myself. And that, that's, I think, where, where we're starting to head, especially now in COVID. Like, suicide rate is going up. Depression rates are going up because people aren't going outside and talking to other people. And that causes depression. So we're in this time when people have to find a way to create meaning in their lives outside of the ways that we used to. We have to be very creative, which is something humans are really good at. And I'd, I'm curious to learn more about what you guys build as you continue to get down this path, because it sounds like you're trying to fuel that ability for people to, hey, we're giving you the analytics of things that you would used to have to spend a couple hours on. You now can spend 30 seconds looking at our dashboard or looking at the analytics email that we're sending you automatically. You go spend your Labor Day weekend with your family on the lake, social distancing with just you and your close friends. Don't worry about all this other stuff. It's taken care of by the robots because the robots don't need to eat or sleep. We just give them resources and they'll continue to do that repeat algorithm. You go do the fun stuff. You live your life. Keep having fun. You know, you know, so first of all, you're, you're familiar that my father is big into the AI as well. And, um, you know, one of the big things that he talks about is is sometimes is the AI winters. You know, there have been th three big times in, in AI, and, and we're in essentially the, I, I guess, you know, AI like 3.0, but it, industry 4.0. But, as, you know, AI 3.0, I think, is what he, he likes to say it as. And, um, you know, when we, when we started to – focus on AI as, as a civilization, or as I guess the world, we, we wanted to make AI as close to human as possible. And then, you know, throughout this process, we, we started to break down, chunk, chunk out the problem into um, <clears throat> smaller problems, which is, okay, how do we add AI to um, voice? How do we add AI to shopping? How do we add AI to music? How do we add AI mm -hmm. to X, Y, and Z? And start to chunk out the problem and, you know, it's a whole kind of like microservice mm -hmm. architecture of AI, I guess. Um, but, um, you know, what I'm thinking is that, that, you know, this correlation that you have with how do we get to the next, the next version of that is, 
you know, it's it's got to be that we have enough of these problems mm-hmm. solved that we have a, a minimal viable product for whatever the end goal is. And I, I can't say what that would be, but I think it might be like a truly automated world, even though that sounds incredibly <laughs> frightening. Um, but, you know, that whole the car drives you to the place and weaves between other cars perfectly going like 150 miles an hour or, you know, you, there's a drone helicopter that picks you up and takes you to your location. You know, you don't need many other things. And then your groceries are reoccurring because it already knows what you want, unless you want to modify something. And it knows, you know, based on the weight in your fridge, how much you're eating and your schedule, if you can have dinner guests and you can plan a menu and stuff like that. So, you know, that simplification of things, but all these problems are going to get solved because of AI and transportation and AI and, and delivery and food and production and all these subset problems. And then you'll start to build them together little by little to, to save this is, time. You're saying something really interesting um, right now. Now, you, did you say that we're in, there's a lot of AI winters that kind of cause AI research to go to sleep for a while. Did you say we're in like version four or in iteration or reincarnation number four of AI? You know, I think I heard three when my father was talking, but you know, we talk about industry 4.0. Okay. um, As, as a buzzword, you know, in technology where we're trying to make, you know, industrial space smart. And that might just be a, that just might be a part of AI 3.0 or whatever it is. Um, I, you know, I don't know the exact number we're on, but there are these AI winters and, and I definitely don't feel like we are in one just because data science and AI is, yeah. is pushed so heavily. And we have cloud that is, that is pushing the boundaries of what we can do with AI and we, you know, education is pushing STEM so hard. Um, I think that you know we're gonna be innovating for a while, but eventually we're gonna come to a spot where yeah. it's like, what's next? And uh, I'm I'm wondering what that is, and it's probably just gonna be we've solved enough problems, so now we need to yeah. solve a bigger one. Yeah, I'm I'm curious if there's gonna be. I feel like when a lot of us ask what's next, we're thinking like, what is the next Steve Jobs gonna be? The thing that fundamentally changes everything, where everyone will know who he is. He's revolutionizing it, and it's like bam and i'm sure there's got to be one at some point in human history i'm just wondering like everyone's wondering what it's going to be and who it's going to be and um i don't even know i don't even know how to approach asking that question i'm so i'm so in my mind in like my grind of customers have problems they want to pay me money i'm going to go and solve those problems i'm so focused on that like cycle i'm not even thinking about it so yeah curious of you because you're probably spending more time thinking about that how what's what's a practice that you do or what's what's something that you do to kind of keep examining that question or to keep it almost like a mantra at the top of your mind is there any practice that you do to kind of try to uncover what's going to be next you know i guess my big thing is and i I spout this to everybody is in tech or even outside of tech it's about learning how to learn and um, and I say this because when I think about what's next, I, I don't think about it for like a profiteering thing. I think about it, okay, how am I going to educate myself and prepare myself for when that's here, right? When 
Kubernetes came out, I was like, all right, now I got to go learn this. Or when Docker, you know, when Docker came out, I was like, okay, now I got to go learn this. So I'm thinking, okay, what's the next thing I got to go and prepare myself for so that I can have an educated discussion with my friends or with my coworkers or with whoever needs to be so that somebody can look at me and um, I can you know, provide somebody with the opportunity to mm-hmm. save five minutes of their life and, uh, or, you know, of learning. Um, I thought about, you know, I had a conversation with my father the other day and I said, what is my purpose? Everyone has a different purpose in their life. And I thought, for me, my purpose is to provide opportunity. And, um, you know, that comes in, in many ways. For you know, like When I donate to charity, I don't donate to, like, I, I like to donate to uh, charities that are, like, scholarship funds. You know, that provides somebody who needs, uh, like, more opportunity, like, I guess the opportunity to go to school and, and then grow from that and learn how to learn and, and not have something just given to them, like, but, you know, have the ability to be that workhorse or, or whatever they want to be to hopefully be the next Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos. You know, that's what I want. I want, I want to provide somebody with the opportunity to, to do something you know, for themselves or, and for the rest of us. To answer your question that you said up front, I would be more than happy to talk as much as possible to help counsel you guys. And if you and maybe some of your other co-founders wanted to come on next time and we can talk some more, um, I would, I would love to help in any way for people that are listening and want to follow along with you and your journey. What's the best way for them to connect with you either on social or on a website? What's the best way for people to get connected with you? Okay, so this is a difficult one. Um, you know, I don't really, you know, I'm, I'm pretty quiet on the social media. I'm pretty quiet. Uh, I don't have a blog. Um, you know, if you really wanted to connect with me, I would say find me on LinkedIn and um, sh- shoot me a, you know, this sounds terrible. Just shoot me a message and, and let me know that, you, yeah, you want to have a conversation. And I, I love talking to people. I love when people tell me I'm wrong or that I should think about this or explore that. So, um please do that or you know what you could also tell me i'm right but it's just you know i don't want to get a big head or something like that so um you know let's let's push the boundaries and let's challenge some things and i think that's that's what these conversations need to be as much as they can. find a lot of people in cybersecurity stay off of social and it's it's a very good practice for social engineering avoidance, making sure that people aren't hacking you. I'll include the link to Pablo's LinkedIn. Check the show notes in whatever app or platform you're listening to this on, and you can get connected with Pablo. Pablo, it's been amazing chatting with you. Last question, a final send-off to the rest of the world. Everyone's in a global pandemic, whether it's cybersecurity-related or just personal-related. Is there any final words that you have for everybody listening today? You know, I, I think my final words would be, you know, don't look at this as, as like a dreary thing. There's a lot of opportunity here, um, whether that's for saving money or learning something new or, you know, if you're young, maybe you went back home to live with your parents during this time and, uh, you know, you get to spend a lot more time with your significant other. I, I really don't know what it is, but. Let's let's try to find a lot of the good that can be 
in this situation and, and remember that and say that during this time I accomplished X, Y, and Z. And I'm really proud of myself and I made it through the pandemic at the end of this. And um, yeah, I think that's it. But I, I wish you all best of luck and thank you. For Thanks again for joining us, Pablo. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Your Voice First podcast. If you'd like to learn more, find us on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and every other social platform at Voice First AI.